This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Beyond the Arc, I'm here with Jay Powell, man from the Ringer. We just watched the Heat defeat the Celtics in game one of the East Finals. Second series in a row for Boston losing a game one at home. Uh, this was a remarkable performance by the Heat, Kyle. Weird game. Boston leads by nine at halftime. Then Miami drops 46 points to only 25 for Boston in the third to take a lead entering the fourth. In that fourth quarter, there was this weird stretch for both teams where neither of them could seem to close the gap for Boston or extend the lead for Miami. From 450 until 231, Boston didn't score, and then they didn't score again until the 56-second mark. Over that stretch, here's Boston's possessions. Brown missed three. Horford turnover. Tatum turnover. Brogdon misses one of two free throws. Tatum turnover. Tatum turnover. A deficit goes from 5 to 10. Heat able to extend the lead and get the win. A remarkable performance by the Heat. Yeah, the Heat came in with a lot of purpose. They were playing really fast. You mentioned they were just kind of trading incompetency like stretches, <laughs> like droughts, where um I think the turnovers, the turnovers from Brown were significant. The live ball turnovers specifically in this game. If Boston took an early clock three, that was tough. I know there was one sequence where, like in the third, where Horford took a, an early shot clock three, and it was immediately turned into uh, a three-pointer for Kevin Love going the other way. It just seemed like um it just seemed like Boston was kind of yakety sacks with the ball for a lot of the night. I know uh, Jalen Brown had six turnovers in this game. In the fourth quarter, I know they had a hard time. We might talk more about this, but uh, Tatum, like, getting him involved, making sure, you know, they talked Lack about it a lot on the broadcast. Um, you, you just saw, like, Jimmy Butler had – and, like – Jimmy Butler has shifted more into on-ball mode in this postseason. I like. I think eight of his top ten uh, ball screen like counts in in this season have come in the postseason. So he's gone way more on ball. Uh, but you know they got Tatum with some of the. He had some hesitancy on closeouts. He had, a, he had like two or three different occasions. Wasn't it a strange fourth for him? I mean, he go yeah. he goes really for seven minutes, barely getting a touch at all. And then as soon as he starts getting touches late in the game, he's just a turnover every single possession to close. Like Max Struess had the play around three minutes left, where he just put the clamps on Tatum, who turned it over, careless pass to Jimmy Butler. For for Boston here, you know, in this game, I think with Tatum, he's nine of seventeen on the surface. It feels like it's a solid overall game. You mentioned the six turnover, turnovers from Jalen Brown. He's ten of twenty one on the night. Hurt his hand or his arm at some point. Uh, I'm not I think sure. How Bam much. landed on it in that scrum. Yes, and that may have affected him. But he had some sloppy turnovers anyway, and we already know he struggles with his handle. I felt like in that second half as well. That third quarter. 
at 46 points from Miami. Our boss, Bill Simmons, tweeted this out entering the fourth. You know, Joe Missoula doesn't call a timeout pretty much the entire third quarter. And then Boston goes on a 7-0 run to start the fourth. Right away, Spo calls a timeout, gets Zeller out of the game, puts back in Bam Adebayo. And Bam was one of the big reasons why they built the lead in the first place. I thought he completely outplayed Robert Williams. He was taking that little floater, pull-ups when Williams gave him space. Anytime Time Lord had to come off and help from Bam, it seemed like Bam would just occupy that space and find a way to get to the basket or get himself an easier shot. Outstanding on defense, active on the boards, in in you know in the pile, causing jump balls with Jalen Brown, and you know ultimately, Spo whether it's timeouts, whether it's mini adjustments, telling his team to constantly push the pace. It felt like they had the Celtics on edge. It, it was a advantage Spo, the veteran head coach, the former champion. Really, no surprise at all over the rookie head coach in Missoula as well. Yeah, we wondered about this coming into this series that this would be a tough one, and you know maybe when you have a veteran team, you're trying to like rationalize what the thinking is there. If you're Missoula, you're thinking I've got a team that has a lot of playoff reps. I know he said that he likes to have a couple in his pocket in case he needs them down the stretch. But yeah, that third quarter was huge. I mean, Bam, you know, big big outing tonight with the 20 points and the and the eight rebounds and the five assists. And during that stretch, during the third quarter, you saw. And I'm not sure exactly what Boston needs to do here to prevent it or if you even can prevent it because Jimmy is so slippery and so methodical about getting to the baseline. If he had a big on him, if he had Horford, if he had if he had Time Lord Robert Williams on him, he was getting to that baseline and then drawing that help from the low man defender. And he made a couple gorgeous passes to 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 Bam in that in that uh, in that like lane area. But Bam was attacking was the same thing, attacking their bigs in space and having a lot of luck with it. Uh, just kind of get you know and following up on the offensive glass. Um, he was a but, bully. Yeah, he was. He's just he's a monster flying all. Yeah. He does everything Time Lord does, but better. You I know? mean, Bam, Bam in the game. I mean, he just he he was absolutely unbelievable. He ended with a total of nine of thirteen from the floor, twenty points plus eighteen, eight rebounds, five assists dominant out there and I thought Eric Spolster one other good move he made in the first half we saw Kevin Love at the five for two three minutes Celtics went from having a deficit to a pretty you know solid lead and then immediately Spo calls a timeout gets Bam back in the game again multiple instances where Bam's like hey you gotta play heavy minutes in this game to, to give us an opportunity to win so for moving forward in this series it'll be interesting also to see Boston a heavy three-point shooting team. I mean, they jack them up. In tonight's game, they had a playoff low for themselves. 34.6% of their shots came from three. Um, they had taken fewer in an earlier series um, overall, but fewest percentage-wise of their total shots. Miami 16 of 31 from three. Kind of strange uh, from Boston not you know finding the three-point line in ways that they did before what was there anything that you saw like Miami running them off the line is there something um, perhaps Boston could do to, to find more wide open threes moving forward I think a lot of their game is, is is predicated specifically in this series by their ability to get downhill get that penetration and a lot of those live ball turnovers that's those are possessions where you're gonna you're losing good looks at three and you get you get an abnormal you know sometimes it's as simple as like who creates and who hits the most threes in this game we had we had Martin Struess Lowry 
Uh, and I believe uh, it might have been Gabe Vincent. I can't remember the fourth one, but four different players got at least three threes in this game. Vincent on, did as well. Yeah, yes. Vincent was the fourth. Uh, got three threes in this game on 40% or higher. I think two or three of those guys shot 60% from three. They were aggressively hunting them. I know there was one There was one instance where it was like a right side pick and roll, and I think Struess just rejected the screen and just basically just did a dribble pull-up three in Tatum's face. If you're playing the percentages, you're thinking – Maybe those don't continue to go in. I mean, it's a pretty especially strong performance from Miami. Um, that's the thing you got to wonder if your boss, if you make some adjustments, take care of the ball, maybe some of that will regress a little bit possibly. Yeah, I mean, we'll see there. I mean, the one thing for Boston that you're still continue to be concerned about is the fact Jimmy Butler was the best player on the floor once again. It was an absolutely dominant performance by him in every way, racking up steals, crashing the boards, scoring with great efficiency on offense, 35 points, seven assists, six steals, five rebounds, 12 of 25 from the floor, and 43 total minutes. Kind of a LeBron stat line. Like, he just kind of went all the way down. It was, like, not a traditional <laughs> heavy triple-double. It was like he just he nickel and dimed him to death, yeah. He, he's – um. It's amazing to me all the time. Like he, he's just kind of does this thing during the regular season. Then he just turns it up to eleven or twelve during the postseason. And oftentimes, a lot of the time, he looks like the best player on the floor. And you talked about Tatum struggles earlier in the fourth quarter. Uh, Jalen Brown inefficient night again for Boston to win this series. Um, you know they are the two seed. Miami being the eighth seed, but Miami's already beat a one seed. They had another another tough win in the second round as well. Miami is not the traditional eight seed. And for Boston here, like they need Jason Tatum to do a lot more similar to what he did in game seven, uh, rather than a large part of game six. And tonight was somewhere in the middle, but not quite enough. Yeah, I mean, you're right about the not quite the eight seed thing, or like not a typical eight seed because you've got basically two all defensive level players, whether or not they make it year year in year out. With Bam and yeah. Butler, and then you've got an all NBA guy and Jimmy. And and another thing too that's important is that there was a lot of chess like. If Boston went with, uh, and and this happened on and off throughout the game, some like Derek White did some to acquit himself with some of the shots he made. But anytime like they tried Pritchard tonight, anytime they tried Derek White, uh, you just saw Jimmy Butler's eyes get as big as uh, satellite dishes, and he was just hunting them relentlessly. I know, like Reggie made a point about them running a floppy action at one point. Um, Jimmy loves to go right, and if he had any of those those smaller guys on him, he was really picking on them on that baseline. So that's something to keep an eye on. Well, what's your prediction for the rest of the series? Did you pick Boston to win it? Uh, where, where do you think it goes from here? I still think Boston's going to win it. Just get, I mean, if they, I'm not going to put it past them. I mean, you know, Miami's on a heck of a run here. If they continue to shoot the ball like this, they're getting it from so many people down the line. Um, Boston, I just. I kept thinking to myself, you know, it's if they can offensively turn it on, the thing that I kept saying is this isn't like Miami or this isn't like Milwaukee who is really strained on offense, missing their key guy, a team that all already wandered on offense. And this isn't the Knicks, a team that like struggled a lot to keep their offensive fluidity going. If Boston can kind of put it together, cut out some of these mistakes and maybe those three-pointers regress a little bit, I still feel good about them. But Jimmy's on such a heater I mean, are we going to get a fifty-pointer from him? Uh, you never, you can't put hardly anything past him. I mean, he might make up the difference there, but I still lean Boston in yeah, this series. Uh, I picked the Celtics in seven. It's just one game. I'll stick with that. Um, but there's a lot that you have to like if you're a Heat fan watching this game one here. So we'll find out what happens the rest of the series when we're back. We'll be talking about the Nuggets and the Lakers.
Welcome back to Beyond the Art, Kyle. We're here now with the Larry O'Brien Trophy. We have a guest for this segment. I said earlier, you know, I figured we'd meet at some point in our life, but I figured it would be me like hoisting it up and besting my opponents and just sort of triumphing. But this will do, you know, it's a beautiful trophy. I'm kind of starstruck. I'm in awe. It's gorgeous. It is beautiful. It's a lot heavier than anticipated, like 40 pounds. Yeah. Giannis <laughs> makes it look easy. He's like, you know, <laughs> waving it around. I don't really, I'm not to that level, you know, maybe that's something to aspire to, a little CrossFit, maybe in my future and I could palm the, but uh, if we never meet again, I'm, it was, it was a pleasure. It was an honor. Could get a good workout in with this. And, I, sure. you know, I think for the Nuggets and the Lakers, it's very possible one of these two teams, Nuggets are up 1-0 now. They do have the edge on the Lakers. One of these two teams could be the team to hoist that trophy in about a month now in the NBA Finals. And game one, Jokic was I mean, it was just an absolutely unbelievable night. 34 points, 21 rebounds, 14 assists. Kyle, for three quarters, he just absolutely dominated the game. Uh, one of, probably one of the better performances we've seen this entire postseason, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, and he, he just showed you a little bit of everything. We saw him do the catch-and-shoot thing. We saw him dribble into his own jumper. We saw him get to the rim. We saw him attack the rim a few times, catch AD off surprise, which or on, by surprise, which is something I think we can talk a little bit more about in terms of their scheme and like how they're going at the Lakers. Uh, but he gave, he gave something. If you were a doubter, Coming into this game, and you maybe never never seen Jokic before. Um, I think he gave you plenty of reason to believe last night. He did it. He did it all. I think he had like 15 rebounds in the first quarter. Yeah, yeah. He he came out. He came out firing. Yeah, it was it was just an absolutely special performance. And I think for for Jokic, he's proven that time and time again, every single series, and not just these playoffs either. In past years, too. It's not his first time in the conference finals, but it is his first time in the conference finals post bubble against the Lakers, and he's a better player than the last time now. And so this is her second time on a big, huge stage against a very good team that's drawing a lot of eyeballs. We just saw Lakers-Warriors, you know, breaking some, you know, records for, you know, viewership from 20-plus years. So now Jokic being a better overall player, having won two MVPs, he's got a lot of eyes on him. Since we have Larry here, might as well ask Larry his thoughts on the game from Game 1. Larry, what stuck out to you in Game 1? Keeping Aaron Gordon in the dunker spot let the Lakers back in the game until Mike Malone made the smart decision to move Gordon to the corner over the final minute. And you know what? I bet we'll see Gordon get used as a screener next game. By the way, uh, why does it have to be Michael? What's wrong with Mike? Who gets mad getting called Mike instead of Michael? I don't get it. Please, Kyle, tell me what's wrong with this guy, Malone. Uh, a, I didn't know that bit was coming, and I laughed uh, a lot. That's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> so that was sort of like that scene in Alien where the chest burster came out and you got the genuine reaction. That was my genu- genuine reaction. I didn't know Larry had it like that. I shouldn't be surprised, I guess. But good points all the way around. I mean, I, I guess um, this segues into, do you want to segue into this no, sort I mean, of... I mean, what comes to mind for you, Kyle? The chess game going forward. Why for- does it have to be Michael instead of Mike? Larry brings up a good point there, but Michael Malone did make a great point, though, in that fourth quarter. He stuck after the Lakers moved Rui Hachimura onto Nikola Jokic. It just completely just suffocated that Nuggets offense in the half court. They had LeBron James and Anthony Davis helping on the inside the paint, nowhere for Denver to go until like the last minute when Michael Malone put on Aaron Gordon in the corner. 
moved him from the dunker spot from the entire freaking fourth. And then suddenly their offense was, you know, fine the last minute. He said during the off day on Wednesday that, hey, we're coming back a game too. If they're putting Rui on Jokic, we know what we're going to do. Did the Lakers possibly tip their hand too early, you think, going with Rui on Jokic? Should they have maybe saved that for game two? Um, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's going to be a thing that's like they're screwing themselves or shooting themselves in the foot. It's all kind of a continuous thing where I, I do think that coming away from that that game, though, I think you have to feel pretty good if you're the Lakers, considering how amazingly the, the, the Nuggets play. But I do think that defensively, they maybe stayed in switch a little bit too long. There's some things you could go down through there and like nitpick. I thought they maybe took their foot off the gas a little bit. And then that switch maybe came a little too late. You know, if you think about, and I always kind of thought that like the hovering above this series, 35,000 feet, if you wanted to like distill it down to its like broadest thing is that I think the, the, the Denver Nuggets cutting game and off ball sort of competency versus the like all world elite, like free safety, cleaning up, putting out fires, defensive ability of, of Anthony Davis. I think it was an obvious thing to try to get AD off of Jokic, like we talked about. Try to get him off of Jokic if you can. But I, th- I think the big thing here is like, how long is Rui really? It was it. How long is it going to take for Jokic, the guy who's like the supercomputer brain basketball player, how long is it going to take him to figure out Hashimura? I don't think it's going to take very long. Rui, I, like, Rui did a good job. He but, did. But is it going to hold up, though? Yes, That's the question. And I, and I can't imagine that it does. You're going to have to see the Lakers switch up schemes. I don't think they can do any one thing. And for L.A., I wonder if at some point we'll see them go with that again but then put AD on him and then, you know, maybe put Vanderbilt on him, switch up schemes throughout the game rather than they stuck with AD for too long, like Larry said. And that was surprising that they went with that. And I think now the flip side of it, though, is the Lakers did score a lot. They were able to create a ton of good offensive opportunities. Granted, they shot the heck out of the ball from behind the arc. I felt like the Lakers, you know, Anthony Davis looks more like his bubble self. Um, You know, there was video footage of him taking 103 pointers from every spot on the floor. Clearly, he's trying to get back that perimeter jumper after kind of abandoning it for a long time. Nailed one in this game. We all kind of lost our minds. He hit a corner three in that game. Do do you feel like for the Lakers that like a lot of the media conversation has been about, well, you know, the Nuggets win this game, but the Lakers have to be feeling pretty good. Do you subscribe to that? And if you do or even if you don't, is A.D.? part of a reason to feel you know any any sense of satisfaction after game one I think you want to resist the tendency to like throw off the balance of AD's attack and I think for every player there's there's a pressure release thing I've, I've talked about this in the past it's different for every player and I think for for AD you don't want to lean towards becoming like a face-up 18 footer which I think he did that for like what three years like just lean way too heavily on that I think where he's killing them is in these like short curls where he's shooting these little left right-handed kind of floaters these just chip shots because then he's close enough to put him back in and I just think in the short range like I think defensively or like you know Denver has enough kind of team rebounding uh to where I don't think you want to lean too heavy and he doesn't make that shot at a high enough clip I know he aspires to do it but you got to kind of pick and choose your spots I think with, with AD's jump shot and it's been that way over the course of his career and game two coming up on Thursday night what's your prediction for game, game two Kyle uh, I think the Lakers might steal one, honestly, here. Um, I'm with you. I yeah. think so, too. They came close to doing it in game one. Um, I still overall lean towards the, the the Nuggets in the series. I think they're going to win the war, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if the Lakers come back and, and hit them with a nice counter here. Well, thanks to Larry for joining us to talk about the Western Conference Finals. You and I will be back talking about the NBA draft, Kyle. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Everything was chalk with the draft order up until the fifth pick. The Pistons get pulled. They move from one to five. Disappointing, sad for them. But then we get to the top four, and the San Antonio Spurs get the number one pick from David Robinson to Tim Duncan to now Victor Wembanyama. Three number one picks in their history. Three bigs. And here we are, Kyle. This changes absolutely everything for the Spurs and the NBA as a whole with Wimby now going to San Antonio. Pretty good slugging percentage historically for the Spurs <laughs> in this spot. And it's funny that, like, I, I was talking with you about, you know, you and I in person went to witness the uh, what I what I have described as basically like a religious experience of the of the the Wimby versus Scoot in Vegas. So fun. Where, where post game, you and I were just kind of at the beginning of talking about, and, and I think everybody everybody. Kinda kind of saw this on the horizon that this made sense from a just like well naturally san antonio the team that honestly was like the internet they put international like scouting and stuff they were the team that were light years ahead in that sense so you were just like doesn't it make sense for pop who's a guy sort of at the like an inflection point of his career where it's like well he keep going he doesn't have to wimby is like a breath of fresh air assuming pop decides he wants to keep going why would um, he not yeah and why would he not you know what a way what a way to sort of uh a thing to start you know he probably won't go the duration of Wimby's career for Wimby to stay healthy ideally that would be the case but um I mean it's just it's something we saw coming and and we still were just um it, it just seems like a great situation for Wimby it's a it's a great fit for him it'll be comfortable and they're they're a franchise with a lot of like alumni that can help him yeah, too and including a great yeah. Frenchman and Tony Parker um so I'm sure that that'll be something there uh, and I think for Wemby going there to pop he's 74 years old I can't imagine if Wemby has a long healthy fruitful career 15 20 years for pop boy oh boy I doubt he goes that long if anybody could do it though <laughs> get that got that wine uh, longevity yeah, yeah you never know there but you're right like regardless of how long pop goes uh, as the coach of the Spurs I think with San Antonio, I mean, even when they had Tim Duncan, 
Nobody watched the Spurs. Like they were considered a boring <laughs> team. Nobody really kept eyeballs on them. They're in one of the, let's just be honest, of the 30 NBA teams. I've never been to San Antonio, but from what I hear, one of the more boring cities. Ouch. So they don't get a ton of coverage. Watch out, Barkley. You're going to have them coming for you. Don't comment <laughs> on the women, KLC. And now, and now, now, though, they do have that basketball fit that works. I think for them, Jeremy Sohan, all rookies team player, you know, he's dying the hair. He's acting like Dennis Rodman. <laughs> Cosplay. He's, he's great on defense. He improved on offense as the year went on. He can play make a bit. He improved as a shooter. But Devin Vassell and Keldon Johnson, those guys are the more proven commodities at the wing spot. Vassell, one of the better mid-range pull-up shooters in the league. Great three-point shooter coming off screens and handoffs. Like, I'm already getting, like, super excited with him and Wemby with the chemistry that they could have together. And Keldon Johnson. Him attacking closeouts, him on defense. I, I think for the Spurs, you plug Wemby into this. You said it on our draft preview show. The Spurs are one of those teams where they have this good talent, Vassell, Johnson, Sohan, but they didn't have that centerpiece. And now that they have Victor Wembanyama there, I mean, they have a guy who in his you know, Brian Windhorst flies out to France <laughs> and interviews Wemby for a minute on ESPN after the after the pick was made, after the pick went to number one. The pick has already been made, to be, to be fair. <laughs> Wemby looked like he was running on fumes. That yeah, was some incredible like footage. 30 a.m., He was right? like, let's get there. Come on, let's go. Yeah. But he said in that interview with Wendy, Wemby and Wendy, that could be a podcast. There we go. Yeah. Well, Wemby said to Wendy, you know, I'm ready to start competing for championships ASAP. The Spurs have this young nucleus, but they also have like $40 million in cap space. To me, the Spurs suddenly become a team where you're thinking, well, what do we want to do with that money? Do we start, want to start competing now? They're 30th in defensive rating last year. Could they go after a Brook Lopez, a veteran? Could they overpay to try to steal him from Milwaukee? $25, $30 million annually? I mean, I don't know. That's where my mind's going right now with the Spurs, Kyle. For all these other teams that fall down and don't, you know, result in Wemby, sorry to all of them. Uh, (laughs) Charlotte does move to number two, though. They had the fourth best odds. And, you know, we talked about them again on our draft preview show. And now they're in a position to do something that you said could be a positive for them, which was Paris Coot Henderson, point guard out of the G League Ignite, 6'2", explosive guard, you know, Westbrook-esque, um, that type of player with LaMelo Ball, who can play with and without the ball. We've seen him flourish without it as a shooter. He can move without it, and but he's at his best as a playmaker. But they are at the inflection point of the draft here. This is really where things get started here because they could also go with Brandon Miller out of Alabama, six foot nine has playmaking instincts in his own way, a better defender. He's bigger. He's a better shooter than Scoot. To me, Miller's the the clear choice, but this is going to definitely be something that is debated within that Hornets front office because there's a lot of logic behind pairing Scoot and LaMelo and having that be some supercharged backcourt, right, Kyle? Yeah, and I think you could put, I think you could potentially put LaMelo out there with Brandon Miller and then like if you want to keep PJ around, I think that makes sense. I think those two guys could play together, but I I do think... PJ Washington should be a keeper. Yeah, yeah, and I think he's just kind of been waiting for a situation that makes sense for him. Like, I think he's like an interesting 4.5 in this league that could, just needs to find a good situation. Um, But yeah, I mean, the the Scoot and LaMelo mellow thing makes sense because i think often when we think about nba teams we think about like we think about someone taking like the lion's share of the touches and that's just the way that a team works when really increasingly teams are moving towards this direction of like you want to have more you look at okc 
you look at OKC, clearly they have a guy who is like the 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 tip of the spear for them. He's their primary score, but they have two guys that get a ton of reps, that get a ton of touches. And I think to be like a multifaceted, dynamic offensive team, you've got to be able to show multiple looks like consistently. A lot of guys can have a lot of touch. And I, and I think if you had Scoot on ball, I think you get just as much of that playmaking because LaMelo is a, is a promising relocator as a shooter. I think that his passing skill set doesn't like require him to have the ball in his hands all the time. I think there's like a fire and ice kind of thing that is really nice. And I think personality-wise, Scoot would be a good fit for Lamelo. I like that. I mean, both of them, I'm fine with either. I'd go Miller. I think he's the better prospect. But Scoot Lamelo would be exciting in, in its own way and make a lot of sense from a basketball standpoint. And what Charlotte does is going to have a direct effect on the number three pick with Portland. Because Portland moves up. You know, they're the one team that did slide into the top four, um, at bumping down the Rockets and bumping down the Pistons. So... Look, man, I think for Portland, they have Damian Lillard, who has already expressed that he doesn't want to have, you know, go through more of a rebuild and more young players. Well, now your team's got the number three pick in the draft, and it's very possible Scoot Henderson could be the guy on the board there if the Hornets go with Miller at two, which could happen. Scoot Henderson's a point guard. Damian Lillard's a point guard. They already have Anthony Simons. You're not going to draft a, a third smaller point guard. Like Scoot looks like an NFL linebacker. Shaden wants to evolve on ball too. Yeah, so you got a lot sure. of mouths to feed on Absolutely. that front. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, for, for Portland, it's a position right now where I could see them doing anything. They could they could keep the pick and draft Scooter Miller and trade Dame. They could keep the pick and keep Dame and say, you know what, dude, like maybe you can, maybe you can win with this guy. They could trade down. They could trade out. They could try to build with Dame. They're another team just like Charlotte. San Antonio is the only certainty Two, who knows three. They could go any direction. Like somebody could move up for this point as well. Like Orlando has two firsts. Yeah. Two lottery picks. Yeah, I guess it, it it really depends on what you'd have. I mean, you have to look at the the fit and the needs for those teams in the four through ten, four through fourteen range, and think: it, are any of them going to covet Scoot? This is we. I mean, like we talked about this. Yeah, I remember we. T- I, I think it was probably a month or so ago. I I kind of was wondering if this ended up in a situation where they had the opportunity, or the, it was implied that they would get Scoot. Um, I wondered if they would trade out. I kind of feel like that's what they might do because it seems like doesn't it kind of feel like the the feeling you know when you put your ear to the wind, whatever. Like it just kind of feels like they're leaning towards doing whatever they can to to keep moving in the short term with with Dame. I could see them because they just don't have any need for a scoot. I, I mean, I will long term will scoot be better than Simons? Do we know that for sure? Not really. I mean, like Simons is really good. Yeah, Scoot's so, a better playmaker though than Simons. I, I believe. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. I don't know that it's like a total like in like a for sure shoe in, but it's like. Um, yeah, I mean, I could see them totally trading out if if uh, if they you know it could happen. And, and a lot of teams could. I mean, you mentioned the the needs of teams four through ten. I said Orlando with two lottery picks, six and eleven, but it could also be somebody like the Rockets saying we want to move up one spot to number three to assure we get our guy using, you know, a bundle of our future picks that we received through numerous other trades. Like Houston could move up as well. There's a lot of teams that could try to, and the Rockets do fall to number four. They had the second best odds. They're the second biggest loser in this year's lottery. The first biggest loser is the Pistons at five. We'll get to them in a moment, but Houston man at number four at this point, in my mock draft on the ringer, I have them taking Amen Thompson out of the overtime elite. And for them, you think about the position that they're in right now. Obviously, you want to have Wemby. Goes without saying. You would have loved, you know, Brandon Miller for that matter, too. But 
Ahmed Thompson's a really high upside player, and I, I think about the fit with him and Jalen Green, two hyper-athletic guards in the backcourt. Green, less of a playmaker. Thompson, more of that driving force. It could, and, he, and Thompson's more of an energizer on defense as well. It feels like there could be something there that could make sense with the with the backcourt with him and Green, and then with you know you get Jabari Smith and Shengun, and then Tari Eason, and a bunch of quality young talent on that team. Thompson could be the piece that they actually need at number four. Yeah, I, I mean, an upgrade at like rim protection, like a rim protector would have been like the nice thing, but I don't think that there's a guy that makes sense value-wise to reach for at that point that high. Uh, I mean, the one thing your mind goes to is like Thompson and Jalen Green, is they're skinny. I mean, like skinny backcourts yeah. can get picked on pretty True. easily. Um, my question for you, and this is just hypothetical in the moment here, I mean, like Anthony Black versus an Amin Thompson, they offer similar things, but it's just Amin is such an off-the-charts athlete. I was telling and, you know, I was telling some of the, our guys that we were watching the game with it. Like, I mean, next year he's going to be may, arguably the best perimeter athlete in the league. I mean, Amon Will. I mean, which one do you go for? I mean, I, like Black is offers a lot of the same things. He's like a monster defensively. He takes a lot of pride in it, gives you a lot of energy, gives you that connectivity. But I definitely could see them supporting Jalen in the way that you're talking about, like just giving you some more switchability, cross switch, take away some of the pressure for him to guard the ball. Um, it makes sense on that front. I think Houston's also another team that could move out. It's very possible at number four. That's something that's been, you know, kind of out there throughout the year. Like, well, who knows with Houston? If they don't get number one, they could be a team. We know about the James Harden potential interest. Maybe they try to move number four for another player, sign Harden, trade four for, you know, insert, you know, top 30, top 40 player here with other picks. I mean, Houston could move out as well. Like this could be a, like the way this draft shook out, you know, it went chalk up until number five. But the way those teams landed in the top four, I think it makes for a very, very interesting next handful of weeks leading up to the draft um, when it comes to the trade market. And and then at number five, the Pistons. I mean, brutal. Yeah, I mean, brutal. yeah, really brutal. You lose Kate all year and, you know. And for what now? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, assuming he like really, it's a legitimate problem. I don't know if they held him out maybe longer than they had to, or something like that. It, but yeah, it, it's, it's it was an issue. But I mean, maybe they wouldn't have you know went as far with you know the the surgery and whatnot, but it was an issue. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I was I was noticing kind of a phenomenon with the, with this draft where it seems like for the teams you and I had a, had a conversation last week about like there are some teams that have the absence of sort of a roadmap for what they want to do and kind of going from nothing to having a roadmap map is like the hardest thing to do i think for the teams that are like the furthest away out from the in that like three to even to 10 range i feel like it's especially demoralizing because if you're really far away i don't feel like there are like these surefire like if we take this guy his his like superstar or even star or even like just his the upside feels lower to me past like the three spot so it just seems like the teams that are closer like in Orlando it's not as devastating you know whereas if you're if you were like the the Pistons or the Rockets it's a brutal brutal beat like the consolation prizes are fewer I feel like in the top five I I guess it depends on your evaluation of Cade Cunningham if you view Cade as a guy who's going to become a top 10 player in the league then you're like yeah well we got our guy we got our guy. You seem skeptical. You're looking at me like you don't see that upside with Cade Cunningham. Uh, I've been, I mean. It was a number one pick. Just Well, just to give you an idea of how the one, number one pick varies from year to year. I mean, I, I who who among, I mean, I'm like was one, I was a huge Cade defender, like for, from way even before he got drafted. And I even like 
I didn't. I don't know about him coming a top ten player. Hey, because it's a, that's a tough racket. There's so many good players, but like, who out there do you think even thinks that at this point? Maybe even outside of the Pistons org. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, it would have been they lost a lot. There's no way around it. And I don't. I don't know that there is a pick for them at you know at five that is going to like really make them the needle move. I don't. Do you think they'll stay put the Pistons? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it it, it just sucks. <laughs> it seems like there could be like way more movement than normal. 